the meeting today is Mark, and Mark's going to be talking about post uh, the 1945 Labour government. This week uh, is the uh, 75th anniversary of the ending of the Second World War in Europe, and later on in uh, the, the year, it will be the 75th anniversary of the 1945 uh, Labour government. Um, the landslide victory of, of Labour in 1945 has been mentioned by some um, as a possible outcome uh, in politics of the um, coronavirus. Uh, personally, I can't can't see that happening, but uh, there was, um, uh, for many, a surprise victory in 1945 by Labour. And what I'm trying to try and do is look at... Um, how Labour came to win in, in 45 and then what the Labour government actually did uh, in 1945. It's often seen as the, uh, the uh, Labour's pinnacle of um, and what other government, the Labour government should uh, aspire to. Um, so how did we get a, a majority Labour government after Churchill won the war? Um, Labour, the Labour Party um, uh, in the 1920s and 30s, had uh, replaced the Liberals as the main party of uh, opposition. Uh, and in 1929, uh, Labour formed a minority government with the, uh, the Liberals. Um, but they faced the, the, the greatest crisis um, of the period, the, the Great Depression. Um, the, the economy went into uh, free fall, um, mass unemployment, and basically, uh, the minority Labour government couldn't ho hold the, um, the rungs. And it ended up, uh, the, the leadership of the Labour Party uh, tried to form a, a coalition with the, the Conservatives. And it split the Labour Party with the uh, Ramsay MacDonald, the uh, Prime Minister, and hit the clique around him. Um, forming a, uh, a government that was to last from uh, 1931 until 1945. Um, the, the crisis tore Labour uh, apart um, uh, and the general election that happened in 1931 saw Labour reduced from uh, several hundred seats to, uh, to 52 with the, the Tories gaining 470 seats. There was a, a complete uh, whitewash in 1931. Um, with the, the, the 1930s um, and the, the national government having so much power, you saw uh, a number of um, crises that the Labour Party tried to intervene in and to recover from its uh, crisis. Um, the, 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 there was the question of what to do about mass unemployment. There was the rise of fascism, both sort of mostly in, in Britain and obviously uh, uh, Germany uh, and other parts of Europe where fascism seemed to be on the rise. Uh, there was a, a massive pauperisation of uh, sections of the working class in, in Britain. And as the, the, the 1930s um, moved on, there was a threat of war and what to do about the threat of war. By by the outbreak of war, Labour had uh, regained some ground. Uh, there'd been a general election in 1935 uh, and it had bounced back to 154 seats. The, the, the vote uh, 
uh, in terms of actual people voting was was recovered to similar levels to the 1920s. But because of the national government and the fact there was uh, the opposition was united, they won the thir 1935 general election. The national government stayed in power. Um, but there was due to be a general election in uh, 1940 and uh, the Labour Party thought it was in, in a good chance of gaining uh, more, more seats yet again. Um, they thought uh, the leader of the Labour Party in 39 was Clement Attlee and he'd replaced uh, George Lansbury, who many would see uh, George Lansbury as a, um, a Corbyn-type figure. He, he'd been known as a, uh, a pacifist and a, a leader of the left, and Attlee's uh, uh, becoming um, leader was seen as a, a more steady hand, uh, a more centrist um, Labour leader. Um, the Labour Party in the 1930s was dominated by the, the trade union movement. Uh, it was the trade union leaders who dominated uh, uh, the, the structures of the Labour Party. They were able to clamp down on any movements to the left. Uh, there was people like um, Ernest Bevin, the, the leader of the um, T&G. Uh, they, they very much... Uh, kept control of the of the Labour Party in the 1930s. There had been a slight uh, tilt to the left through the 30s uh, uh, in the constituencies. Uh, there, there was a, a battle to give constituencies more, uh, more power. Um, um, sorry, just a minute. Uh, um, but uh, there was no organised left uh, that was able to intervene strongly inside the Labour Party through the, through the 1930s. The, uh, the original left in the Labour Party, the Independent Labour Party, uh, had uh, left the, the Labour Party in uh, 1931 and uh, remained as a separate party all through the, the 30s and 40s. Uh, and that had about, uh, depending on the time, three or four MPs, mostly from uh, Glasgow, but a lot of the people who'd been in the ILP remained in the Labour Party and they formed um, the Socialist League um, within inside the Labour Party uh, as a, a, a left current. They, along with the, uh, the Communist Party um, and the, the Independent Labour Party, uh, pushed for uni unity campaigns uh, against the national government and against the rise of fascism. Um, the Socialist League um, was led by a, um, uh, a num interesting number of people, and I, I haven't got time really to go into it because I'm meant to talk about 45, but what, that collapsed in 1937, um, and uh, what, the only thing that really came out of the, the collapse of the Socialist League was the newspaper Tribune, which became a sort of... Um, organizational uh, hub for, for, the, for the left and Labour Party. They, they, that was seen as the paper that reflected the views of the, the left and Labour Party. Um, the person who um, set up the uh, Tribune uh, was uh, Stafford Cripps, uh, who was a um, vegetarian barrister who in many ways uh, seems to be uh, uh, the Tony Benn of the of the uh, the, the 1930s. 
him along with Anarin Bevin had put, uh, set up the um, the Tribune paper, um, and as the the leading lights of the left, uh, they were often in in lockstep with the, the Communist Party's uh, uh, popular front politics. And in 1939, before the outbreak of war, they had. Um, been expelled from uh, the Labour Party for trying to form a un unity campaign uh, uh, with the, uh, the Communist Party and the ALP uh, to stop to stop war. At the outbreak of war, uh, Labour voted to support the war, and the Labour, Labour leadership under Attlee supported the elect an electoral truce and a ban on strikes, but they refused initially to enter the uh, government that was under uh, Chamberlain. The Labour left in, um, uh, at this time was dominated by uh, uh, Communist Party popular front politics. Um, the Communist Party at this time was doing a lot of entry work into the Labour Party, especially into the, uh, the, the Labour Party Young Socialists. Uh, the, uh, the Left Book Club, um, the, um, basically the, 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 the ideas of the Communist Party held great sway with inside side the Labour left at, at this time. Um, as I say, the, the Labour leadership and uh, the, the, the mainstream of the Labour Party supported the war uh, initially, um, but there was, there was opposition inside the Labour Party to the war. Uh, in, in the, uh, just before Christmas um, 1939, 90 CLPs passed uh, resolutions calling for an end to the electoral truce and uh, opposing the war. Um, in uh, May 1940, uh, the, the national government had a crisis over the, the campaign uh, in Norway, where the Germans invaded Norway, and, and, and it all was reduced to a bit of a farce. Um, if you're interested in that period, the, the film uh, that's just been out recently with Ch uh, Churchill, The Darkest Hour, sort of covers that period. Anyway, with the, the uh, Churchill coming to power and the removal of uh, Chamberlain and a number of the sort of people who'd been seen as the arch appeasers, Labour uh, joined the, the national government uh, and very quickly had 16 cabinet members. By June, um, uh, there was a, France had collapsed and there was a real danger of... Uh, uh, German invasion uh, and the fear of uh, uh, fascism taking over and that was to affect um, working class politics all through through the war that, that threat of uh, fascism being successful um, allowed the, um, the national government uh, to gain support of the working class by pointing up the, the fear of, uh, of, of, of uh, fascism being successful So, as I say, the, how did, they changed politics through the war. Uh, there was the idea of uh, unity against the greater evil. Until 1944, uh, there were some strikes, but it, only when the war was seemed to be almost won did strikes start to break out in, in, in the wider uh, areas. There were strikes in 1944 uh, in some shipyards, uh, in some of the coal industry. Um, at this time, the Communist Party opposed all strikes um, and supported the war. 
Um, and uh, the left was uh, uh, that uh, supported working class action was, was very much in a minority. The other things that sort of changed politics were, was the fact of um, um, evacuations, the blitz and con conscription where it brought people together from different parts of the country, from different uh, uh, class backgrounds, from different industries. Uh, and it, it brought into sharp focus uh, the terrible conditions that uh, a lot of uh, ordinary working class people were living in, 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 in the inner cities of the north uh, and, uh, and other places. Um, and it, it sharpened people's view about what had happened in the 1930s with the un unemployment uh, and, and the, the, the depression in the 1930s. It, it, people could see what, how it had affected ordinary people. The other thing was that uh, tens of thousands uh, of um, ordinary people were conscripted into the armed forces. And probably contrary to what most people's expectations, m most people in the army, there's a lot of time to sit around and just talk about, you know, you, you, you're on a train, you've got a long train journey, you talk about what's going on, you, you discuss how your life is. Um, you're waiting to, to be shipped abroad. You're in a camp, you discuss, you know, where we're going, what's going to happen. And one of the central things was the fact that the, the army, because of the idea that it needed to create unity, set up an army bureau of education, which was to discuss why are we, why are we fighting, fighting? What, 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 what is the cause that we're fighting for? Uh, and a lot of these... Um, um, uh, education round tables that were run inside the army were run by fairly liberal ex-lecturers, ex-teachers, uh, often with quite um, sort of left-wing politics who were, were, were sympathetic to the Labour Party. Um, and that had uh, an influence uh, amongst the people who were discussing what we're going to do after the war. During the war, um, one of the things that was brought in right at the beginning of the war was the um, prior to, to, to the war, if you had an accident or you, you needed hospital care, you had to pay for it. You either had your own private insurance or you had to pay for it. Because of the fear of the, the blitz and bombing, uh, all emergency care became free. And I think that was one of the things that's often missed when people talking about how the NHS came about was the fact that uh, people had had free uh, healthcare in hospitals from the beginning of the, of the war. The other thing was the uh, beverage report, which looked at um, uh, social care and what sort of social care uh, should be um, uh, available uh, after after the war. And the white paper that uh, was produced out of the report became a bestseller. Uh, lots and lots of people took up the ideas of, uh, of beverage as a way forward uh, to provide uh, proper um, social care uh, and proper health care after the war. And people saw as, that as something that was worth uh, campaigning for and fi fighting for. And the Labour Party was seen uh, central in Parliament as pushing for that uh, beverage report to be implemented even as the war was, was going on. There's also... Um, a wave of general propaganda that uh, seemed to 
also affect people's views of how the, war, the world should be after the war. There, were, there was a series of uh, sort of documentary type films were put on at uh, newsreel cinemas, uh, things like Diary for Timothy, uh, Listen to Britain. And then there were feature films um, like Love on the Dole, which emphasised that there should be no return to the 1930s and mass unemployment. There were films like Millions Like Us, which, you know, said that let's work together to make a better, better Britain. And these, all these different things had an influence on the, the political um, milieu that was going on uh, as, as the war went on. As I said, there was sections of the, the left um, in the war that uh, opposed the electoral truce. Um, the uh, Independent Labour Party stood in by-elections and won sizeable votes. They never actually won any extra MPs during the war. And there was an um, uh, ex-liberal um, guy called Ackland, and they, with a number of other people, formed a party called the Commonwealth Party. Uh, which stood in uh, by-elections through the war and won uh, three or four seats uh, on a, a socialist platform uh, during the war, calling for, for greater change, uh, supporting the war effort, but believing that there, there should be uh, social reform in, in, in the country. Uh, there was also a, a number of uh, independent leftists who, who won seats on a similar sort of uh, background in the war. Um, by, by 1945, uh, Labour had 22 uh, MPs in the cabinet and Clement Attlee um, um, was basically the, uh, the home prime minister during um, the war when Churchill was doing lots of travelling to, to, to visit Roosevelt and Stalin. Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was Attlee uh, and uh, members of the, the, the Labour cabinet that were doing the sort of the day-to-day -day running of the, of the country. They had a lot more say in, in, uh, than people would expect, uh, you know, a minority uh, party to have. So in, in 1945, uh, the, the, the electoral truce was brought to an end and there was uh, a general election called uh, for June. Um, Labour um, uh, had a landslide, um, probably quite unexpectedly, but as I said, there was, there was lots of reasons why they had that landslide. Uh, of, it had three, 393 M MPs and the Conservatives went down to 213. There was a general feeling that there should be no return uh, to the 1930s and that uh, there should be um, proper social welfare, there should be full employment. Um, and I was mentioned before about um, uh, the, the army uh, and the, the sort of education within the army, how it affected people's voting. Apparently 67% uh, of soldiers managed to register to vote. Uh, and considering that the war was still going on in the Far East and many soldiers were on boats and miles away, uh, 37% of them actually managed to, to, to vote. Ian Mikado, um, uh, a left uh, uh, Labour MP, said that when he was looking at the, 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 the votes in his constituency in 1945, 90% of the army votes that came in were for the, for, for the Labour Party. Um, as I said, the, the, there was a, a general 
desire for no return to, the, to, to mass unemployment. And they, there, were, there was a lot of pressure from, from below for, for Labour to carry through these, uh, a reforming agenda. Um, there's a famous um, thing that uh, Ernest uh, Bevin, the um, leader of the TNG who'd become an MP and was Minister of Labour, uh, was seeing off the soldiers going to uh, D-Day. To and uh, he, he was shouted at by the soldiers, uh, hey Ernie, will we have a job after we've done, done this job? Uh, there, you know, there was a fear of unemployment. Uh, Roy Jenkins in his memoirs said uh, he was harangued by people saying, don't let us down lad, don't let us down in 1945. People wanted change, they didn't want to go back to the 1930s, didn't want to go back to mass unemployment. So what kind of Labour Party was it? As I said earlier, it was a, a party that was dominated by the trade union leadership. Um, the left leaders uh, of the 1930s were co-opted into the new, new government. Uh, Stafford Cripps uh, had uh, rejoined the Labour Party and was, became a member of the, the cabin, cabinet. Uh, Ellen Wilkinson, who was seen as a, a major figurehead of the left, I'd become an MP and, rejoin, and joined the Labour Party. And Aaron Bevin, um, uh, a leading light in the left, he, he joined the cabinet. And in many ways, these people joining the cabinet meant that there was actually no group of lead, leaders with any major influence inside the Labour Party who was to, able to organise to put continuing pressure on the Labour Party through, through its term of government. Those, those lead, previous leaders have been co-opted in, in, into, in, into the government. Um, uh, okay. Um, the, the, as I said, the main publication of the left, uh, Tribune, uh, continued to, to, to push for, for, for left reforms. There was no... Uh, organised left within the, the Labour Party. So, you know, the last time there'd been a, an organised grouping uh, was the Socialist League in the, in the, in the 30s. Um, there was pressure from the Communist Party who in 1946 tried to affiliate uh, to, to, the, to the Labour Party, uh, but that was, that was opposed by uh, the, the trade union leaderships in, within inside the Labour Party. Um, and it also uh, allowed them the Labour Party leadership, as a result of the sort of the CP entryists and the affiliation request, set up a new um, uh, grouping to to uh, control uh, and witch hunt uh, known communists and, and Trotskyists, and it was led by a guy called Morgan Phillips. In Parliament, um, there were ad hoc groupings um, of MPs. Um, the um, but that that. The, the left MPs were, were divided amongst themselves, mostly on, for, on, on foreign policy. Um, there were there was there was a clique of MPs who were uh, pro-Stalinist. Uh, uh, there were people who were MPs who were anti-Soviet, uh, pro uh, working with America. Uh, and then there was a, a third current that was looking to, to for a third force, uh, a third way to try and uh, steer uh, the government uh, in terms of foreign policy between uh, 
uh, Soviet Union and the United States to try and keep an independent foreign policy and build links with uh, uh, other smaller nations that were trying to do the same. There were also divisions on the pace of reform, but, but there, there was no long-term strategy on the left of what to do with the fact that they'd uh, secured uh, a mass majority and that the leadership of the party uh, was uh, to the right of um, uh, many of the, the, the members of parliament and men, most of the work, a lot of the working class. The economy was probably... Uh, am I going on too long? How much longer do you want, Mark? Uh, probably got about another 10 minutes, maybe, at, at the most. Is that OK uh, with everybody? Keep it up, Mark. You're doing good. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Um, probably the, 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 one of the, the major um, problems that faced the incoming um, uh, government was the economy. The country was basically bankrupt. There was no foreign exchange. Uh, in return for Lend-Lease... Um, aid from the Americans during the war. Uh, Britain had been forced to, uh, to sell its, all its dollars, get rid of its foreign exchange, get rid of any companies it owned uh, in, in America and South America. Um, the, the machinery used to, to, to mass produce weapons of war uh, was worn out. Um, there was seen to be a need to, to produce uh, more goods for, um, for export to try and get foreign exchange. But uh, most of the things like car designs were like six or seven years out of date. Uh, they, were, they were having to uh, compete with America on the, uh, on the international markets. Um, there was a massive uh, amount of um, food imports at this time, and that was taking up a lot of foreign exchange. Um, Britain was, in addition to having to feed itself, was having to feed, help feed... Uh, the, the previously occupied countries of Europe and, uh, and Germany, uh, the, the zone that uh, Britain controlled in Germany, Britain had to try and find food for them as well as uh, themselves. Um, I say, Lend-Lease had supported the British economy through, through the war, but that uh, came to a very sudden end uh, in August when the, uh, the war in uh, the Far East ended. Uh, the Labour Party had hoped and expected that that would continue at least uh, for a period uh, while the economy got back on its um, uh, feet after the war but uh, the American Senate uh, just said no more money we're not going to uh, to support anymore and Britain had to beg uh, for a loan from America um, it, it was hoping for five billion and ended up with 3.75 billion um, the 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 leadership of uh, the Labour Party decided that, that the way to get out of the, uh, the economic crisis was to produce everything for export. Uh, that meant that ordinary people weren't able to buy a lot of goods. Um, they, were, they were only uh, for, for export. Uh, workers were expected to work long hours. There was a, a wage freeze introduced. Rationing continued and in fact got worse. Um, There'd been no bread rationing uh, during the war, but there was bread rationing uh, was introduced. Um, people had uh, wages had uh, increased during in wartime, and as although there was a wage freeze, people did have spare money, but there was nothing to buy. Um, anything that was worthwhile buying was being uh, sent abroad uh, for, for export. Uh, 
as I said, there was a decision to 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 nationalise sec uh, failing sections of the industry, uh, and basically the twenty percent of the most unprofitable uh, sections of industry were nationalised. That meant mines, elect, uh, uh, railways, um, transport, uh, but the these failing industries. Uh, the Labour Party decided to um, recompense them for the loss of their industries. So we ended up paying £164 million to the mine owners, uh, £265 million to the gas uh, owners, £540 million to the electricity owners, and £1 billion for the railways. Um, the, these new nationalised industries were were run basically the same way as they've been run prior to nationalisation. Uh, to, to quote an old song, meet new boss, same as the old boss. Um, people, people had hoped that uh, the nationalised industries would have some sort of uh, aspect of workers controlling them, but they didn't. They were run, as I say, basically the same, uh, the same way as the old uh, industries. Between 1947 and 51, uh, there were 8,000 strikes in, in the, the nationalised industries, uh, with workers trying to oppose um, austerity and the wage freeze. The, the government sent uh, the army in to cross its picket lines 18 times uh, during the war. And in, in terms of the economy and uh, giving people a greater say in, 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 in that, that aspect of society, I think it's right to say that uh, Labour the Labour Party failed. By sort of 1948-49, with the initial tranche of nationalisation done, there, were, there was some pressure to, to continue the, the nationalisation and to, to, to uh, uh, produce... Um, uh, start to nationalise some of the more profitable industries uh, and to use those, that, those funds to, to, to transform society. Uh, but uh, there was, while the nationalisation of the failing industries hadn't met much opposition, when it came to the more profitable industries, iron and steel uh, and others, uh, the, 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 the capitalists started to, to campaign quite viciously and started to drag their feet and they, 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 it became much harder. Um, the uh, Tate and Lyle company uh, ran a uh, campaign with a cartoon character called Mr. Cube. I don't even, I think still on the, the sugar packets now, but he was originally set up to advertise the campaign to oppose uh, national, uh, nationalisation of industries. Uh, probably the only two profitable um, parts of industry that had been nationalised were the Bank of England and, and road transport. Bank of England remained nationalised until uh, relatively recently and road transport was quickly uh, returned to private ownership in the 19, uh, 1950s. Foreign policy, um, Labour looked uh, to the empire, not so much as in the... The, the fact of the sort of traditional uh, imperialist sort of way, in, in the way that uh, the, the white uh, dominions of Canada, Australia, South Africa, uh, and, and later on uh, India, they looked them as, uh, as important trading pass partners that didn't require 
uh, Britain to spend uh, precious dollars uh, to trade with. Um, and uh, with the exception of uh, independence for India uh, and Pakistan, the, the empire re re remained intact through, through, the, through the, while the Labour was in power. India and Pakistan is, uh, was given independence in 1947, and it led to... Uh, terrible violence uh, when, when the country was partitioned and it's something that we, we maybe we should discuss at a, 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 another time. Um, part of the problem was that uh, Churchill uh, during the war had opposed any attempts to, to give uh, uh, India independence and uh, he'd uh, left uh, the Labour Party uh, government with a problem to solve. Labour didn't do themselves any favour by signing with different point, uh, points of view in, inside India as they left. And uh, they left us with the, the problem of Kashmir to this day. Uh, other uh, foreign policy problems that uh, Labour badly uh, dealt with was uh, the problem of Palestine and Israel. Um, uh, Britain uh, refused access to many Jewish refugees fleeing, the survivors of the Holocaust fleeing uh, Europe and wanting to go to, to Palestine. Uh, and ended up uh, putting uh, thousands in concentration camps in, on Cyprus. Um, Ernest Bevin, uh, who was the far, foreign uh, minister at this point, uh, was responsible for that. And uh, at various points, uh, uh, various uh, uh, Jewish uh, guerrilla groups looked to, to try and assassinate him. Uh, Britain also supported the, um, the monarchist government in Greece against the, the uh, Communist Party in the Greek Civil War. Uh, probably uh, the one that we we did what wasn't known at the time, but we now know, was that uh, uh, Attlee and a small number of ministers set up a secret committee to build a British atomic bomb. Um, Bevin, uh, Ernest Bevin, was uh, reported as saying, "We need a bomb so we can appear to be a major player in the world, and it's got to have a Union Jack on it." Uh, as I say. Ernest Bevin, uh, uh, as the, uh, the, the foreign secretary uh, responsible for some awful things in uh, Cyprus and uh, Greece, etc., uh, people there were there was opposition within inside the Labour Party to him. There was an attempt to have no uh, confidence vote in him, but um, there was um, a decision uh, uh, by the Labour Party to include uh, conscription. To carry on conscription, people had never had uh, peacetime conscription before. But uh, with uh, the end of um, uh, the Indian Empire, um, there was no Indian soldiers to police the rest of the empire. So British working class boys and girls were going to have to do the job. And so in, uh, conscription continued right through until uh, the early 1960s. Right. Um, yeah, balance sheet of uh, the Labour government. There was no return to the 1930s. There was no, re uh, uh, there was no uh, mass un unemployment. Uh, the economy uh, was put on a, a fairly stable uh, uh, level by the time uh, uh, Labour uh, Labor left uh, government. Uh, there was opposition uh, from the uh, from the, the capitalists to to the Labour government both covert and overt, but 
Labour was able to introduce the National Health Service, which was probably the their greatest success. Uh, Bevan uh, had to fight the doctors uh, and other aspects to to get the uh, the NHS set up, uh, and it was successfully created. There was a a mass house building campaign that, that was created. Uh, there was greater uh, social support. There was low unemployment. In fact, there was a, a labour shortage all through this period. No matter what we think about the way the Indi Indian independence came about and what happened with partition, India uh, and Pakistan were given independence and that was the they were the largest colonial possessions of any country that were given independence, uh, you know. Um, but but the, the Labour government was shackled to the United States foreign policy goals. Um, from 1946, the, uh, Brit uh, the British uh, Armed Forces planned for a war within 10 years with the Soviet Union. Um, and when the Korean War broke out, defence expenditure uh, jumped up to 7.5% of gross national product which is massive, we spend less than 2% today. Um, probably, and, and it's where defence expenditure challenged the National Health Service that there was probably the greatest divisions in, inside the new Labour government. Uh, Bavan and, uh, and other uh, soft lefts who were, uh, wanted uh, the NHS to remain free uh, broke with uh, Attlee and, uh, over uh, in introducing of uh, glasses, charges for glasses and, and dentistry. Um, there was a, um, by the uh, late 1940s, early 50s, uh, the, the left had started to co coalesce slightly. Uh, there was a, a cute left group of MPs. Uh, Bevan, uh, when he uh, resigned, was able to, to group uh, a larger group of MPs who were, who were trying to move uh, the Labour Party to the left. Uh, there, were, um, there was an organisation called Socialist Fellowship uh, that was uh, set up by uh, Fenner Brockway uh, and uh, the, the small Trotskyist movement at the time uh, was involved in the Socialist Fellowship and there was a, uh, a newspaper that was organised around there called uh, Socialist Outlook. Um, Tribune uh, continued to be seen as the, uh, uh, the major part of paper of the left. But the, the organisation within the party to try and push the Labour Party to the left um, was too late. Uh, and on, in terms of uh, challenging foreign policy issues was divided over uh, responses to, 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 to the Soviet Union and, and America. Um, but for all its faults, um, it still had the overwhelming support of the, the, the British working class. Um, in the 1950 general election, they were, uh, Labour was able to secure a, a small majority of six, uh, but it increased its vote to 13 million. Um, in 1951, when they tried to increase the, the, the majority, the Labour Party lost in terms of seats but gained it's the largest percentage of votes that the Labour Party's ever had, uh, with uh, nearly 14 million votes and like 48, nearly 49% uh, of the votes. 
So, although they lost the general election in 1951, Labour, as a result of its, its uh, government, had gained the majority support of the last section of the working class. Thank you.